I found it hard throughout this time to kind of keep track of which metaphor I'm thinking about or using on any, each particular week. And so all of these sermons have sort of blended into one sermon, and that's especially true with the last three of these sermons. As my preaching professor used to say, a, a good sermon is like a diamond that has many facets and it's a singular theme, but you just rotate the diamond as the preacher and let the light refract off of the different facets. And I, I love that image. But these last three sermons, especially last night, today, and, and next week on New Year's Day are very clearly the same sermon and maybe three parts of the same sermon. So watch for that. They are those three facets on a stone that is really John 1, 1 5, where John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Last night, we talked about the way this is true with that word glory. As we grow in our awareness of God's light and God's presence, we learn how to participate in it. We learn as we dwell in the light of God's glory, in the presence of God, we learn how to glorify God and, and reflect God's light. And next week, we're going to look at that line from Isaiah 42 that speaks of the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, as the dimly burning wick and the bruised reed that cannot break. And we're going to look at the resilience of what at times seems to be a faint and vulnerable light, but still a light that uh, cannot be extinguished, a light that seems easily extinguishable, but somehow keeps burning. It occurs to me that's what the Jews celebrate with Hanukkah, and that's the nine days that the oil that shouldn't have lasted but one day lasted, and the light just keeps burning. And today is the last day of Hanukkah, by the way. <laughs> but today we're going to look at John 1, which is what I would call John's substitute for the, the Christmas story. You know, I don't think we realize this, but it's only uh, oftentimes when we read the Gospels, we, if we read them closely, we, we recognize this, but it's only Matthew and Luke who tell of the birth of Jesus. Mark starts with John the Baptist, as does John, and we're going to look at the first 18 verses of John's first chapter of his Gospel, and it's kind of a theological discussion of the Incarnation. What does it mean for God to become flesh? It's a theological discourse also on our dance as human beings with God's light, our struggle to rest in this truth that darkness can never extinguish the light of God's love and God's power. And so uh, let's look together at, at John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light. But he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, 
and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made God known. known. Let's pray. Lord, send out your light and truth and let them lead us. Guide us into that deeper awareness of your presence with us and so make us reflectors of your glory, people who point to the light and enjoy abiding in it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of light, have any of you shopped for light bulbs recently? Have any of you been down that endless aisle at Home Depot that has almost every possible permutation of light bulb that you can ever imagine seeing? And have any of you turned and just simply left the store because you cannot find that particular one that you're looking for? And then if you do find it, then you have to decide which version of it you want. I brought something today to share with you as a visual aid. You have to decide whether or not you want soft white, bright white, true white, cool white, or daylight. <laughs> but here, here, for a mere $12.99, here is one that does all five. It's an absolute miracle. It's really not true because as far as I can tell, there's really only maybe three gradations on the dimmer. But if I bought their particular setup, I'm sure it, it would have all five clearly defined. But this got me thinking just about the light that we manufacture. I mean, this is a, a great metaphor. I mean, this is worse than the mustard aisle at the store. <laughs> Cheerios. There's, there's permutations of Cheerios as well. Okay. The older I get, the more that technology seems to just be passing me by. And I'm just going, have fun with that, boys. But we manufacture light. And we have so many different permutations of light that we can manufacture and this manufactured light in this eco-smart dimmable bulb for me is a metaphor of what is true about our dance with God's light as well. And the question that really gets posed to us every single day when it comes to our relationship with God is, will we manufacture our own light, our own remedies for darkness, or will we look to and dwell in the light of the one for whom 
we are made. It helps me to understand what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6, 22 and, and 23, which was always such an obscure text to me. But it seems to be making more sense to me these days when Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What kind of light are we going to let in, I think is what Jesus is asking. Are we going to let in only the manufactured lights that we create to defy or cast out our darkness? And I'll leave that to your imagination as to what those lights are for you or for others in your lives. It could be any number of things, but they are things that we use to try to defy or cast out darkness that, that end up not working. Because if the light in us is only what we made and not the light that made us, then how, as Jesus says, how great is the darkness? Our manufactured lights cannot remedy the darkness of life's losses and failures. We need some other source of light in order to do that, and that is the light that made us. And John's point in this first chapter of his gospel is exactly that. He takes us back to Genesis, back to the beginning, back to the source of all light, and he begins again to tell us the story of who we are and who made us and why he made us and how he's come after us. He says, open your eyes and see this one who made you and made you for a relationship with himself. Open your eyes and see that he's coming after you and has pursued this relationship with you by becoming one of you in the person of Jesus. And that in spite of your reluctance to accept this, he keeps pursuing, he keeps revealing, he keeps loving, he keeps shining, he keeps lavishing, as John says, grace upon grace on us. The light that dispelled darkness in the beginning cannot be extinguished by darkness. It cannot be overcome by our ability or inability to apprehend it or dwell in it or let it in and, and let it lead us. And that's where the psalmist in Psalm 139 just sums it all up. When the psalmist says, if I say, let only darkness cover me and the, the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the darkness is as bright as the day to you. The light can't stop shining. The light that shines in the darkness cannot be extinguished by the darkness. I was listening to NPR 
it was the day of the anniversary of the Sandy Hook massacre in the elementary school there. Ten years ago, that happened. In some ways, seems like yesterday, and in some ways, seems like a hundred years ago. And there were several of the families who had lost children in that massacre who were interviewed by NPR. And it was a pretty enlightening thing. One of those, as NPR likes to say at their pledge breaks, uh, one of those driveway moments <laughs> where you, you can't get out of the car because you have to finish listening to it. And if ever there was a life-changing darkness, a darkness so powerful it could extinguish all light, I think parents of those children probably at some level wondered that at moments if they had encountered that darkness that could extinguish all their light. And there was one mom who was interviewed who said something very interesting. She said and shared that after the day of this tragedy, you know, she had just finished putting up the Christmas tree. And for the, the subsequent years between then and now, she had not put up a Christmas tree. And that this year, she decided to put up a Christmas tree. But what was interesting about her decision and even her discussion of her decision was that there was no particular reason why. It's not as if she had made some conscious decision that now was the time to do this for these reasons. She couldn't really identify anything other than I just decided to do it. I felt like it was it was time. And I suppose some might look at this and they might say that this was the stage, you know, analyzing people's grief and saying this was the stage where she was letting go of something, moving on, returning to normal, declaring the grief period to be somehow packed away. But does one ever move on or return to what was after this kind of loss? I don't think we do. Does one ever get rid of the stain caused by this kind of darkness? I'm really quite sure that after this Christmas and this Christmas tree, she will not simply return to a place where Christmas was what it was before her child was killed. We don't get over or get beyond the damage that darkness does to us. We don't pull down the curtain on that act of life and just not remember it anymore. We don't leave the burden there behind that curtain and walk on into a new horizon. We take it with us. And I think what light enables us to do is to figure out how to carry it in a way that we can hold it rather than simply being dragged down by it. We put up the tree, not because we're returning to something, but because all the light didn't go out. Because the darkness couldn't put out all the light. Ultimately, we put up the tree because the darkness didn't win.
I'm sure some of you are familiar with the Leonard Cohen quote that I want to use this morning. It's from an anthem that he wrote, or a song that he wrote called Anthem, that, that is a lot about the way the light keeps shining and the way the light gets in. And they say, or rather I have experienced, don't read long poems in worship. People's eyes glaze over. But I'm going to read this one. We got a lot of time, so... It's actually not that long, but it's in that typical Cohen style, and it's a wonderful text and and set to haunting music in some ways, but also strangely warming when you get to the end. The birds they sang at the break of day, start again, I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ah, the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We asked for signs. Signs were sent. The birth betrayed, the marriage spent, yea, and the widowhood of government signs for all to see. I can't run no more with that lawless crowd while the killers in high places say their prayers out loud. But they've summoned, they've summoned up a thundercloud. They're going to hear from me. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. You can add up the parts, but you won't have the sum. You can strike up the march. There is no drum. Every heart, every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I really encourage you to look this up and spend some time with it. Anthem by Leonard Cohen. And as we all know, you can find it quite easily on the internet. (laughs) But Leonard Cohen's lyrics are a song about enduring light with a reminder that the darkness can inflict a blow, but that it can't put out the light. The brokenness that we experience doesn't have to destroy us. The light finds its way even through the cracks. Darkness is no match for God's enduring and steadfast love. It will find its way in and it will never be put out. Let's pray. Lord God, open us to this truth. Help us to run our fingers around the edges of those cracks and understand the way in which they are portals for that healing light of your love. On this day that we celebrate and commemorate and revel in the truth that you have come to us, We pray that that truth might be the thing that lightens our darkness.
And we pray this in the name of the one who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.